1: Hello and welcome to The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no-holds-barred truth about being a woman post-40. Created and hosted by me, journalist and author Sam Baker. How do two sensible middle-aged broadcasters become the voices of a generation of pissed-off older women? My guest today can tell you all about that. Fee Glover and Jane Garvey were off-air colleagues who turned their on-air sensible reputations as hosts of The Listening Project and Women's Hour, respectively, on their heads when they launched a teeny-weeny little podcast called Fortunately. Described as two friends chuntering waspishly, or as Fee and Jane put it, talking complete shit, it's now quite successful, according to the BBC and a runaway success, according to their millions of listeners.
2: I don't think I'm ever going to travel again. Do you think you're going to travel again? Mm. Lots of people kind of go, oh, no, it's a passing phase, it's a passing phase, you'll be back on the EasyJet next summer.
3: I'm I'm not so sure. Well, you might not be, I am desperate for a sunshine break. Yeah, Yeah. I I, I could be tempted by Greek island. Could you? I'm so good.
1: if you get kettled in a stairwell
2: on speedy boarding for
1: (laughs) two hours. Now they've written, did I say that out loud? A book that's so funny that coffee and some other not-quite-so-pleasant stuff came out of my nose. I joined Fee and Jane in a box room by the Thames where we chuntered about friendship, being judgmental, pushing boundaries in your 50s, and why older women's voices are relevant to everyone. Amongst many other things, frankly, it was a bit like herding cats. Is there anything these two won't talk about? Is there any one way to find out? Do you think that I'm the
3: sensible one out of the two of
1: us? I do, yeah. Interesting.
3: I think that's very interesting, yeah. (laughs) Fee thinks that she's the one who does the admin, and to be fair, that is true. We write in the book about that five-year difference in age between us, so I'm 57. And there's just a lot of the technical stuff. It doesn't come as naturally to me as it does to Fee.
1: Your description in the book of computer studies just really made me laugh. That's exactly that was real. Well, yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 1981 and
3: in school doing computer studies, but with, crucially, no computers. And it was just half an hour on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. And I never believed it. I thought, well, oh, I can't see there's much future in this. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> is this real? I don't think I'm going to engage. Anyway...
1: Yeah. Uh, all of which explains why Fee does all we have in, in our working relationship. Yeah. Where did it come from? What was the spark of genius that led you to podcasting? I can't think of the word that and means big and successful. Well, the
3: BBC just says quite successful. So we'll stick with that. They, they don't like us getting above ourselves, do oh, they? They so. really don't. No. So Jane and I did a
2: stint on stage at the radio festival. We hosted the radio festival, which is our industry shindig up in Salford, Back in, I think, 2012, maybe 2013, yeah. And we had quite a nice time doing it, and it was the first time that women had ever presented it. And it says <laughs> so much that they couldn't just ask one woman to present it; they felt they needed two. <laughs>
1: oh, to hold each other's hands, well, just in okay. case one of us had a period or something, <laughs> oh, God, like that. Yeah. Yeah. or just a mood. <laughs> uh, so hormones love hormones. We
2: did that quite successfully, and there was a commissioning editor in the room, who obviously saw something and thought, well, they've got a bit of repartee between them. But there was then a four-year gap between that and Fortunately being a thing. And initially, we were tasked with doing this... Well, actually, we both quite enjoyed it, didn't we? A podcast where we kind of reviewed bits of radio we'd heard that week. Yeah, I think you enjoyed
3: it more than me, because the only problem was we had to review programmes on Radio 4, really. Mm. That's what Radio 4 wanted. That's why it's called Fortunately... For, yes. radio 4. for Radio 4. It annoyed me slightly that they thought we couldn't just talk to each other. There had to be a format that made it slightly that, more rigid. Was
1: that a radio mentality? There? I think
3: it's radio and women, because Fee talks about us being the first women mm-hmm. to do the radio festival. If you look at the picture, which if you're a radio anorak and I am, it's quite significant. The picture of the Radio 1 DJs on the, the steps of All Souls Church back in 1967 not a woman to be seen just this collection of young white men and they were relatively young i think some of them were well into their late
1: 30s even then is that the tony blackburn series? yeah the tony blackburn okay. days. yeah and... sorry kids you won't know who tony blackburn is no you should learn though no don't yeah. google him <laughs> <laughs> he's
3: extremely successful he's had thousands of lovers he's he's written about is. it and he's still going he is still going on Earth. he is a legend yeah. nothing against tony blackburn and it isn't insignificant in our broadcasting lives that Annie Nightingale was this incredible figure who did... Mm. She was a Radio 1 presenter, but she was the only one, wasn't she? When we were Yeah, for up. a long time, for
2: about 20 years. She was the only female voice on air. So I think they felt that, um, you know, we needed to uh, dance around but we might be wrong in that jane because they might just have always been yearning to do a radio review program just waiting for the right sharp-minded esoteric audio <laughs> aficionados to come along and do it so you can take yeah.
1: your voice of reason out. yeah just a, just <laughs> she,
3: occasionally she's so
1: reasonable
2: but then the funny bit of fortunately turned out to be jane and i chatting with each other mm. so then we got to drop the radio bits and just talk to each other and Jane and I are not being deliberately kind of self effacing or indulging in a humble brag by saying that is all that there is to fortunately. Because that is all that there is to fortunately. But
1: that's its genius.
2: It's people. And the thing that's been so wonderful, I think, is proving that two women just shooting the breeze together is good. It's interesting. Yes. And so the things that we talk about and the kind of true north that we always end up in, which is domestic, emotional, I think just kind of kind, actually, you know, that's a sound that wasn't really out there on lots of podcasts. And I think, you know, I don't ever want to speak for Jane because it doesn't go well when I try. (laughs) We both came through local radio and then onto national radio in quite a kind of tight uniform, didn't we, of what women had to sound like in radio Mm. and for Mm. both of us I think it's quite liberating to suddenly not have to do that and that's about what you say and it really is about how you say it isn't it yes there is some
3: quite literally no planning that goes into fortunately
1: so you've not got you don't even go in with like a screwed up bunch of notes like I've got here that I won't look at but, but it's it, almost the writing of the notes. That... Uh, no, no. And I, I think. <laughs> no, if... like a little theme, you don't get odds. Oh, Themes,
3: that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to take a be a producer on it? That'd be great. Yeah. No, we uh, absolutely don't. Oh, quite deliberately, we don't. And actually, it's strength. I mean, some would also say that that's the weakness and that's why, obviously, staggeringly, the majority of people in Britain have still chosen not to listen to Fortunately. Can't understand it. But those who do listen, um, well, they are. I don't think they would engage with it quite so enthusiastically if they did think that we had a list of this week's suggested topics for fortune, this week's
1: gags, (laughs) this
3: week's things we can be funny about. I mean, sometimes I do bring a sort of pathetic clipping from a newspaper or something like that. That's something that's made me laugh. Um, But on the whole, we don't bother. You know, shit happens. Shit's happened to both of us during the course of his life. It can be mind-bogglingly trivial or it can be really quite life-changing and on the whole we've talked about it as honestly as we can without revealing too much about other people who certainly don't want their privacy to be invaded.
1: How um, big is your little audience?
3: Well, the podcast itself has had millions of downloads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, over 20, 21, 22 million downloads of the watch, <laughs> just as I say that is... yes, yeah, not little. It's not little. No, but meant in the great scheme of things, we understand yeah. that the podcast audiences are smaller than live radio audiences, but they're a very different, very dedicated bunch of people who have elected to listen mm. and to be part of your club and to listen and with spend their...
1: spend half an hour with you every... Every
3: week, yeah. At, at a yeah. time
2: of their choosing. Thing. Yeah. Which I think really, really, really... Really adds to the nature of podcasts and and why you can get away with sounding very different because you're absolutely with people when they choose to be with you and you don't have to do that I'm on late night radio so I'm going to be slightly saucy I'm on early morning radio so I'm going to be very bright and cheerful (laughs) or you know I'm on lunchtime radio but Things may change and my career might look up eventually. But you don't have to do (laughs) any of that. So it doesn't enter our heads to kind of be something other than, you know, just stuck in our respective rooms on opposite sides of London,
3: (laughs) trying to keep each other's pecker up.
1: (laughs) Were you friends before? I couldn't stand us. Seriously.
3: the The truth is we work friendly which isn't quite the same thing and also we were competitive because and this is not a good thing and i'm sure i'm to blame i think women were still a rarity in broadcasting things have changed so much for the better in the last five ten years but fee and i when we were both at five live together i did drive time and fee did mid mornings didn't you
2: yeah, and nearly every other show, actually, apart from Sport on Five. <laughs> you know, there were legal reasons for that. <laughs> uh, but, um, but Jane was very much the queen of Five Live. Very much. Very much, because, <sighs> you know, she launched the station, and she's quite regal. And so when I arrived there, which was a couple of years down the line from when it had launched, it's not that we ever kind of well, we didn't really see each, each other. Our paths just didn't cross, and they don't on radio stations, because you pitch yeah. up and do your show, the time slot that it's on, and then you disappear, you're not... Kind of in an office all day, you know. I just always really admired Jane, and I'm not just saying that now, or, you know, because you're in the room. But we wouldn't have had a chance to kind of be friends. The first time that we actually properly sat down and had a really good chat was in the dressing room at the Radio Festival, yeah, I think wasn't that's it? True. which was
3: 15 years after we first met. But I do remember very clear memory of 9/11. If you were in broadcasting on that day, you are going to remember. If, if you were anyone on that day. And I had done a show on Five Live and Fee came on. I think you walked, literally, I walked out of the room and you came in and did the next 18 hours of rolling news on that day. So sometimes we need to remind people, we, we are news broadcasters. Oh, we, we did a lot of we, it Jimmy. Yeah, we did do a lot of it, and this is great, and, and I love, fortunately but our ability to do it, if you like comes from a journalistic background where we have actually been out and we've done, I mean, I once had to judge a baby show, for example, in rural Worcestershire in my local radio days Yes, but you've also uh, interviewed Hillary Clinton And I've interviewed Hillary, Hillary Clinton
2: and A lot of the biggies. Nick Bryant said something really lovely when he was on the podcast that Jane and I both got quite a hard time when we joined Radio. Radio Four. I had to go on feedback to talk about how difficult it was when he joined Radio 4, when Jane was having a hard time joining Radio 4. <laughs> But Nick Bryant said a lovely thing, that actually what we took from Five Live to Radio 4 was the ability to do news in a way that maybe wasn't as formal as it had been done. I would never say that. Rigid. So. Oh, Rigid. 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 Rigid is what it one. is. And a lot of that is down to Jane, because yeah. that was her kind of tone, you know, on the station. So uh, is that enough being nice? Because I've got dirt on her as well.
1: Yeah, you just <laughs> stop being nice? Because i <laughs> I've had 15 minutes of you to behave in yourself and that's not what I'm here for, thank you. Well, we know
2: where each other's bodies are buried. Oh. God. But that's the joy of a decent friendship as well, isn't it? It'd be yeah. an odd friendship if we didn't know any of the girls And that's of why people dark love the each podcast,
1: isn't it? Because to everybody who loves it, it's like listening to a conversation they might have themselves.
3: Yes. Hmm. I totally get that. And that's what we want. Because some weeks we just talk complete shit. And sometimes you will see one of your best mates and just talk complete shit. Yeah. Or you'll be horrible to her. And you don't really mean it. But it's your way of showing <laughs> I'm backing myself here. It's your way of showing affection, um, but
2: also you don't have to win every
3: conversation, no, you, you know, don't you? With a friend, oh, okay. no, no, you don't have to win, win every conversation <laughs> um, with a friend. But, <laughs> genuinely, I think you know the last couple of years, the last eighteen months have been pretty dreadful for just about everybody, and sure I think. Probably I've never listened as keenly to all sorts of radio and podcasts in my life. So it's been a lifeline for me. So I do get why people have enjoyed what we've been doing because, I mean, I don't get the same enjoyment out of listening to us because that would be really...
1: That would be weird. (laughs) That would be really weird. Can you imagine going Um, out on the piss with your friends and then going home and playing it back?
3: No. We're not do, that bad, if so. if We could do a drunk, not yeah, we not Frank Skinner.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs>
3: Something I am aware of is that because people listen in quite intimate circumstances to podcasts, you know, they can be in the bath or they can be having their earbuds in their ears late at night or they're on a walk, they hear everything. And that can include my slightly funny noises. that I've started to make involuntary funny noises. Yeah, so we got a complaint, didn't we, yeah. this week, that well, Joan we quite a often smacks her lips. I oh. smack my lips a bit like I've just oh, done, yeah. I think. Did you? Oh, i have
1: to um, listen.
3: And actually, once you notice, you can't stop noticing. So you did have a very specific involuntary noise. Yes, do it, do it. In
2: season one. Really? I love calling it season one. It's so American. I know, it is. Like
3: season great. one.
2: Usually, as I was talking, or the guests would be talking, you would just... Be in the background just going hmm,
1: hmm.
3: <laughs> yeah. well that's the woman's hour encouraging grunt yes it is it? Yeah. it is you are trained to do that in your first weeks on the hour without right.
1: actually saying anything but to keep the conversation just yeah. keep it coming yeah, yeah absolutely definitely, I have definitely heard you do that in woman's hour yeah. I'm not sure about the smacking lips I've been listening out for it but I haven't caught it I yet I don't think you, know, that you
3: get smacking lips from all to be fair I uh, no, but is, is there it,
1: anything you won't talk about
3: I talk about my children a bit but I try not to talk about them too much because, you know, they...
1: embarrass embarrasses
3: them. And they are, they are 21 and 18, so they're of an age. And they've never heard it, as far as I know. They've certainly never said they have. Equally, they never listened to Woman's Hour either. So, and the other dark night, I was watching a documentary about 9-11 with my youngest daughter. And she said, what do you remember about that day? And I said, well, I was on the radio. You know, she said, what? why <laughs> uh, sometimes you think okay I've been alive a very long time and sometimes and why would they be interested obviously they're not I've got family complications like the rest of the population you know nobody has a perfect life I certainly don't have one and I make it clear that I haven't got one our audience deserve us to be as authentic as we can be without oversharing.
2: Mm. and also there's um, the right to reply thing because although yeah. I mean my kids wouldn't listen to the podcast they're too young but you know a podcast will live in an archive forever and ever and ever so 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 it's not even the now that you should be worried about, you know, when they're in their you know, 30s and 40s, they might not want to be reminded of things that they did when they were younger. So I think we're both quite circumspect
1: about that. What about personal stuff? I don't think you wouldn't talk about. Well, I mean, I
2: think if it involves past and omitting, I'm loath to go there. I think we oh, do talk about past and admitting,
1: <laughs> don't you? I think we
3: probably have done
1: that. <laughs> yes, I think we have. But share. if you mean
3: personal relationships, Sam? I am single, and I've said that on the podcast and I still am, so I'm not going to pretend otherwise. I think if that were to change, I'd be so hesitant about mentioning it i mean that would put the mockers on absolutely anything so the daily mail are listening for that
2: yeah and they always you know they do pick up on a slightest kind of hint but i don't think our listeners are listening because they want to you know know absolutely everything about us they're listening because we're all talking about the same things really yeah so i would be exactly the same and also again it's just that right to reply thing back to being a journalist it's an interesting development isn't it that there is a lot more conversation about people who do not at that time have the right to reply and I just find it very difficult to start talking about somebody who wasn't in the room I know it's
3: wrong in journalistic mm. sense it's yeah. wrong mm. we just shouldn't ever be doing that
1: yeah, only tell your own story I,
3: I have lightly mocked my ex-husband who by the way wouldn't mind and it's always been cut out very sensibly I should say we've got brilliant producers who are very very good at actually taking out the stuff that might cause even the slightest rupture with either the BBC.
1: They're doing their job, aren't they? So we're not angry with them. I suppose Um, it's a BBC podcast, isn't it? So you've, you've still got
3: to... The BBC are amazing actually at not interfering i mean we both slag off the bbc quite a lot on the podcast they allow us to do that which does speak volume also they have never said now it's your job to g up the nation so don't be all negative about the lockdown nobody's ever said that in fact to be fair i've interviewed prime ministers and nobody from the bbc has ever tried to steer the conversation in a certain direction or ask what we were going to ask or anything like it it just doesn't happen so not the BBC all you like, but it, it's pretty amazing in lots of ways. And we all, like everyone else, found the lockdown very difficult and frightening and said so. I remember just sitting on the sofa watching the Prime Minister saying that no one should leave their house. Yeah. I mean, this. it
1: was so odd that night, was Really it? odd. Yeah. yeah, it was really odd. Yeah. And I was actually in my brother's house because we'd sold our house and we hadn't yet moved into our new one. And there we stayed for the next four months. Oh, oh my wow. God. Oh. But it was weird, wasn't it? It was like being in a, a film or something. It's like, do not go to work tomorrow. Do not leave the house. Do not. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah.
2: There was a level of kind of adrenaline and cortisol flowing through everybody's veins, wasn't there, during
3: yeah, that first no, lockdown? I really felt that adrenaline thing. Yeah. i never felt it in my life, really, except, mm. except occasionally at work. But there were weird mornings when I'd set off and try and find toilet roll. She's still doing that now. No, also. I'm not. She's <laughs> doing that now.
1: Yeah, you find yourself like buying a pack and then texting your friends going, Found some, should I get you a pack too? As See, well? I just
2: I just don't have the hoarding thing at all. And in fact we were skating on thin ice in terms of provisions in our household for a long time during those I bet lockdowns. You were you, so you ran out of
3: loo
1: Roll? <laughs> I think we were probably down to loo Roll alternatives at one stage. Yeah, the local corner shop near my brother's had got to a point where they were cutting kitchen rolls in half. Yes, I did it's have drapey. to cut some kitchen rolls. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and I did at one stage
2: eye-up my sewing basket and thought, well, I Eye-up <laughs> <laughs>
1: my sewing. <laughs> but we, you know, we got through it. How have you changed being 50-something? How's Somebody else asked us this. Sorry to be really boring, I actually don't care. You're closer to 60, which is just... Oh, God. God. I mean, I know
3: it's true. I think that's a bigger thing than 50. thanks a bunch. No, well, actually,
1: I love being in my 50s, but... Yeah,
3: I think... I'm very fortunate with my health. You know, look, you cannot take that for granted, especially now. I'm probably making more of a conscious effort to stay fit, so Fee will now take the piss. But I do get up every morning, and I do (laughs) go out (laughs) full (laughs) stop. for Jane gets off every morning. Because it used to be just once a week. I conducted all my business. I did did woman's hour from my bed for years. Nobody noticed. Actually, you probably could, but nobody would notice. Anyway, um, I get up and I go for a walk and I try to eat reasonably healthily. I don't really drink much. I mean, I, I love a glass of champagne, but I really don't have very much of it. I mean, that's one of the good things about... My taste being very expensive (laughs) is that I can't drink. And I'm aware, you know, unfortunately, I've got friends who are ill at the moment, so I know that you cannot take anything for granted. But whilst I'm okay, and my mum and dad are still okay, which is also Mm. probably quite significant, they're 88 and 87, I look at them and I think, is their life terrible? Fortunately for them and for me, no. They've still got a reasonable quality of life. And professionally, I've
1: never been busier, actually. I haven't. So. Has fortunately changed that. Do you think? I mean, and not that you didn't have a bloody massive job before.
3: I mean, people thought Woman's Hour was a massive job. I did it part-time, don't forget, because Jenny Murray and I never did Woman's Hour full-time. We shared it. And effectively, I was a sort of civil servant with a microphone. It was an amazing programme to do. I'm really proud of it. And I will defend it forever. I'm mm. not going to be one of those people who leaves the programme and then says, It's hey, rubbish, and it's mm-hmm. no that um, hill. You miss it. I do miss it. I miss the routine of it is what I miss, actually. Mm. I've got some great friends who worked on the programme, but I still see them. So I still see my friends from the programme. And I miss that buzz of waking up, going out, grabbing a coffee, us all well, sitting around in the office and chatting about what we might have on the programme or how we might change it. Mm. And it's a programme with, a, frankly, a huge audience. But it really, really needed to change. And I was very aware that it couldn't change with me still hanging around because you mentioned age, and actually I think my age was significant in terms of doing woman's hour i didn't want to be the person who'd hung around too long on the program Mm. i wanted to be the woman who realized that she'd probably done as much as she possibly could to bring in a different audience so now it was someone else's turn and i mean i i still listen it's got different sort of fire in its belly and that's what it needed it, funny enough, it gave me a lot of free time. I only ever did it three or two days a week. And there was some weeks, especially when the kids were at school, when I think gonna do now should i have a look at that book about ferns (laughs) um you know that sort of thing so had fortunately not been a success i probably would have stayed at woman's hour but because i thought oh actually maybe there are other things i can do and neither fee nor i are the kind of broadcaster that needs a a script frankly or a structure because of our actually our local radio experience Mm. you're used to just talking aren't Mm. you For hours as well. You know, we've been doing long shows for a very long time. Very long. Very long. (laughs) So, sorry, that was a very long answer to your question. Uh, Um, What was the question?
1: It was just about how your career has changed in your 50s.
2: Oh, okay. Do I have to answer it now? (laughs) Yeah.
1: I just
3: did not want anyone to think you get to fifty. or 52, aren't you? Yeah. You're, you're busier than you... Yes, oh yeah.
2: no, definitely. I will be eternally grateful, fortunately, because I stopped doing what I think we just call kind of frontline A-grade programmes when my kids were tiny. So I stopped doing Saturday Live when my son first went to school. Because my entire working life, so by that stage, 25 years of my working life had been out of normal hours. So, you know, I'd done breakfast shows, weekend breakfast shows, late night shows, late Sunday night shows. Then I'd done Broadcasting House on Sunday morning and then Saturday Live. And actually, I realised that I'd never lived in a normal world, in a normal routine. And when the kids went to school, I really just wanted to be a normal parent at the weekends, not going to work all the time. So I dipped out of that so for the six years after stopping doing that I'd done the listening project and lots of bits and pieces at Radio 4 and then created this programme over on the World Service so it was all ticking along really nicely I had no complaints at all and it was just really important that family life kind of fitted in to all of that but for fortunately to come along and be so just joyful actually just a really really lovely joyful thing to do you know in my late 40s it's just been wonderful absolutely wonderful and i properly love radio and the industry and everything about it. So to still be doing something that's kind of at the forefront of it and new is glorious as well. But I think some of that comes from us being in our 50s. It's quite funny that two slightly older women are pushing a boundary and at a frontier. And I think probably for lots of our listeners who are the same age as us, they're really Proud of us for doing that. And for lots of younger listeners, and we do have quite a lot of them, they're grateful that we're in their world because otherwise it would just be endless podcasts talking about sex. You know, there's something quite strange about the way that when everybody discovered podcasting and put the algorithms together and tied it into the youth advertising market, it seemed to be blowjobs that came, you know, out as (laughs) the agenda. And of course, that's not what young people are. How reductive is that? So I love being in my 50s and still in relevant audio work. Absolutely can't quite
1: believe it, and I'm very grateful You were for saying it. earlier about how you know there are a lot more women on the radio. I mean, you've just got to look at radio too. Do you think we're going to start to see that reflected at the older end as well? God, yes, because the okay. women who are on air Probably now are
3: really good. Why would they go? The BBC and other broadcasters set a precedent by keeping elderly men on for mm. a very long time I mean it's true you know that Angela Rippon was told by John Burt that when she got to 50 she should push off now it's amazing that
1: wasn't even that long ago when was
3: that? 20 years ago because Angela's she's in her early 70s maybe 70 really not very long ago it that was not.
1: this century almost. I
3: happen to have the same agent as Angela so
1: I know that's true and, and it's just how
3: bloody day yeah but
1: people did that's what they did but those double standards, that kind of silver fox, that men get promoted, women get damaged. Sidelined, still... yeah. not Well, they can't do it
3: anymore. They
1: just can't. I think there's a certain type
2: of uh, woman who's needed to be incredibly determined and good and thoughtful to work in broadcasting and that's not the type of woman who's going to go quietly if someone tries to sweep the shelf of them. So now I hope it doesn't change. And also, do you know what, Sam? Older women have got things to say that are relevant and important not just to their peer group Mm. we haven't lived our life in a golf club bar just talking only to people who look like us we've raised children you know we've been sisters we've been decent children to our parents you know I think a woman's life touches loads and loads Mm. and loads of other people's lives perhaps in a way that isn't always the case with men so I think we have things to say and I would hope that you know that that keeps us on air as well I mean it would be a terrible wouldn't it be extraordinary if i don't know if a lauren laverne or a zoe ball or a joe wiley was whoosh, out the door at the age of 60 i mean i just can't it's see just that
3: unthinkable. happening yeah. now so i, I hope the boundaries are changed forever ken bruce yeah, is now i mean he's brilliant he's and 70. he's over 70 yeah. and he's got the biggest radio show and he Europe. still sounds fantastic he loves doing it and he sounds like he does and that's great yeah so hopefully you know i'd love
2: to still be listening to Joe Wiley when she's in her 70s she's just got so much she's, expertise she's just a beautiful presence she understands music why wouldn't you want to just yeah. hear more
1: and more of that so we'll talk about the book and then we got to do my questions I always ask okay tell us about the book then yeah. I love the title actually I love oh, the that's title. annoying
3: because that's fee's idea <laughs> oh,
1: <laughs> okay sorry. Um, I wanted to
3: call it something else but never mind what not did something you want else to call it? Uh, well I had small talk was the working title wasn't it and she doesn't even remember she's blanking like that out then I liked what Have I Said?
1: That's quite good but It's a similar vibe to Did I Say That I Yes,
3: it's know. a similar vibe, Sam. It's just better. Anyway, they went They went with Fee's idea and irritatingly. But I you're know. not
1: competitive anyway. No, not at all. I <laughs> think
3: you're right. I think it is a really good title. It came about because, well, largely, almost entirely, because of the persistence of a literary agent called Victoria Hobbs, who I think you knew anyway, didn't you?
2: Well, she was a fortunately listener. and She, right. she got in touch, to use your favourite expression. She She yes. said, do you think you've got a book inside you? Yeah. <laughs> to which both of us we preened
3: ourselves <laughs> and went oh we couldn't possibly oh when can we meet? <laughs> busy. But I think we did meet and turned it down and then had a rethink, didn't we? Yes, we did actually. For lots of reasons. Uh, it took us about a year to kind of gather I think ourselves. More than that, misses, to be honest. Was it more? And I think I realised that I wanted to leave Woman's Hour and realised that this would be a really good thing to have, to concentrate on. And then the lockdown in January, February and March was when we wrote it was this. It perfectly timed. Yeah. yeah. To be fair, we are relatively busy with domestic commitments as well as work. I mean, without being moany, it is harder for women to find the time in their life to write a book yeah and we've only written half a book each and so we both love reading we just both love books so I didn't want to write a crap book and I thought I could probably write a reasonably good half of a book I just needed to find a friend who could write the other half. So basically, I'm therapy, aren't I? am
2: therapy are not i i therapy fee in the corner. Yeah. The only having written half a book thing is actually really important because I wouldn't have had the time. So I'm at home, I'm a, a single co-parent and I've got two teenagers. And during lockdown, because both of them were at home so much and, you know, continued periods of self-isolation, even when the schools went back, I would never have had the time to write a whole book myself. And I wouldn't have had the concentration or the kind of ability to do it so writing half a book each and what we did was is a chapter by jane that i respond to a chapter by me that jane responds to And we did this thing so you've got to imagine that you're in a 1960s spy thriller in the <laughs> yeah. cold war and you've got russia at one end of the bridge and america at the other end of the bridge and every monday morning we would come and place our work in the center of the bridge yeah. for the other one yeah. to take away but and it was also difficult
1: made you do it, it, it absolutely made us, yeah. And, yeah. And, and and
2: also yeah. i genuinely really looked forward to reading Jane's stuff. And because I needed that stimulus to then go, oh, no, I don't agree with that. And that was so Mm. much easier to write than if we just had a kind of list of topics you know if we just said we're just going to write an and essay we didn't about actually this, discuss
3: which ones we were going to write, write it in, yeah. eh? we didn't discuss that either so, so it was just just like the podcast it was just like the only chapter that we were told to write was the one about podcasting which is at the end but yeah. the rest of it was just things that were on our mind and one thing we were certain about was that we didn't really want to write about the menopause i mean i believe the menopause is very important and i've talked about it a lot on woman's hour it has been a bit of a thing for me which is why yeah. i'm on hrt and i'm you Perfectly happy to talk about that, but I just didn't think I didn't think I had anything new or helpful to say on the subject. Apart from that's my tip: if you've got issues, try and get the doctor's appointment. Good luck with that, by the way. Yeah. And then try and get yeah. HRT. Mm. Good luck with that too, with the, the supply exactly. issues. And it I doesn't know
1: need a chapter on it.
3: It, it doesn't not, really. That it doesn't, is my chapter. It doesn't
1: really fit the vibe.
3: Well, the vibe was just here we are chatting about some things that interest us and we don't agree on everything you know we don't yeah. agree on everything in real life and we don't agree on everything in the book did you agree on what the
1: chapters should be or no so you just write a really short reply if you didn't agree with what yes <laughs>
2: exactly that exactly that, watch that I think. yeah and also they are slightly unexpected topics so i think maybe the ones that you would expect us to have written are the chapters about broadcasting that would probably be a given we've also written chapters about our divorces not from each other we're not a couple so we've never been married (laughs) um
3: i think that's where you've gone wrong <laughs> yeah but i don't think it's as oh, complicated as people make out is it no, no. Yeah. uh we've also but we've written stuff about bit about travel
2: i don't think i'm ever going to travel again do you think you're going to travel again oh, lots of people kind of go no. oh no it's passing phase it's passing phase you'll be back on the easy jet next summer
3: oh, I'm, I'm not so sure well anymore. you might not be i am desperate I'm for missing, a sunshine
1: break yeah, yeah i could be tempted by greek island could you i so good. If yeah. you get kettled in a stairwell yes. on speedy boarding for <laughs> two hours at a random I, UK I airport. I think i prepared to take that risk
3: Are you? Bea has be written a that. very funny chapter about her stay at a wellness institute. Oh, I did, I went
2: to a wellness facility. Uh,
3: it made me so angry. It brought out
2: absolutely every single thing. How much did that thing. actually cost? It did cost, as I've said in the book, I could have bought a small secondhand car that admittedly wouldn't have lasted very long. So I went to this wellness facility because I felt that my body just needed a bit of a break, actually, because I would had quite an emotional rollercoaster of a couple of years. And I also just really wanted to go on holiday on my own, but not feel grotesquely out on a limb being on holiday by myself, because, you know, I was single by then. And I didn't want to go anywhere where there were lots of kids and lovely families and, you know, johnny saying oh daddy come over here and you know look at my sandcastle i wanted to look into the eyes of other sad and lonely people (laughs) so i paid through the nose for that privilege (laughs) and boy i mean on that front Hmm. it didn't disappoint it pulled me up a bit actually because i think all of that wellness and you know this is a massive chapter in the book is very persuasive invasive i'm not quite sure in the first world we realize how far we've departed from a realistic sense of contentment and i was definitely. Definitely kind of sliding down that road of promise where people were promising, you know, that all of these good things would happen to me. And, uh, you know, I found myself surrounded by people who just had extremely expensive, self-inflicted diarrhoea. It was just (laughs) ridiculous. (laughs) So
1: it's stuff like that in the book. It's not very yeah. serious, but and there are serious things along the way. I really love the chapter about being judgmental as well and that whole you're no better than you ought to be thing. Well, I felt I did want to write that because, you know, I have that awful, snivelling
3: aspect of my personality. I know I do. I, I don't like it. I don't like it in myself, and I purport to greatly dislike it in others and dis- disapprove of it. But the truth is, I think it's partly a generational thing. I don't think I'm as... Mm.
1: It's a 70s childhood thing. It, do you know, like I think it,
3: it really you is, i no better afraid. than you ought to be. Yeah. Yes, and that idea of, you know, who do you think you are? And who does she think she is? And the state of it. I mean, in Liverpool, yeah. it was a, the state of it. Look at the state of it. <laughs> All of that. So the Daily Mail, I sometimes read columns by some of their female columnists and think, oh my God, how did she, is she in my head? Officially, I can't stand it. But I also know that there's a part of me that agrees with some of that stuff. I
1: think both
2: of you are wildly optimistic to put that in the bin of history.
3: I think that's, that's mm-hmm. what
2: underlies yeah. everything that we're seeing in front of us at the moment no, but it's right. just in a bikini with a spray tan but that's what you're being asked to think isn't it oh she's not quite it or she's a bit
3: above yeah. herself or
1: yeah. t- it's
3: always about but as judging. long as we keep on playing that game men are going to benefit aren't they yes and, they are and, the winners yeah they're always going to be the winners and I think I just wanted to own up to that part of myself which I'm not proud of at all
1: you go in on it, so you like lay that out there.
3: Yes, right at the have a dreadful, judgmental old bag. I mean, she's actually quite
2: kind unreal. as well. So that's you know, it would be easier if she was just really hard nosed, nasty piece of work. And she's quite nice sometimes, which is uh, disarming. <laughs>
3: well, <it's>
1: quite disarming. <laughs> it is. Really. Very. To both of you, what's your emotional age? Good <gasps> oh, question. question. Twenty seven. Why? No. Just out of
2: interest, I genuinely don't think that I've made any good emotional decisions since I was 27.
1: God, did you make good decisions then? I think I did.
2: <laughs> really strangely, I think I did.
1: Are you sure?
2: Perhaps? Yes. <laughs> well, I think my life, in a way, was a bit more upright when I was 27. Parts of it are very dilapidated. Yeah, now, for years, I can
3: I say, V is quite rackety. <laughs> whereas I'm much more of a, uh, a pillar. You're a very firm pillar, darling. Oh, God, I wish... Yeah, I wish I was more like her, to be honest, but... Um, sometimes I
2: definitely have the ill-conceived thoughts of a 27 year old as well to put that into into balance see, so
3: yeah, I'm going 27 what about you I would probably say 15 16 I don't think I honestly don't think I've progressed sorry <laughs> I'm still quite cocky and also a nervous wreck at the same time you know I'd like to get rid of both of those aspects of my past my personality but I don't seem able to do it so I'm here to tell you people who are younger than 57 that you really change. I remember my my grandmother lived with us growing up and that was quite significant in lots of ways and you know she was pretty elderly by the time she died, if it was 18 83 and I remember her telling me when I was a teenager that she looked in the mirror and she'd just think, well who is that old woman? And I said, well who do you think you are Nana? And she said, well do you know I still feel 15 in my head and I wonder whether that has just lodged in me too. But I know exactly what she meant. Yeah, I've been reading some of my teenage diaries, and honestly, oh my I God. haven't changed. They're
2: brilliant, her teenage diaries.
1: Does anyone ever say a really old
2: age in answer to that question?
1: People have said like both fifteen and sixty. Okay. Yeah, and people do say that they kind of felt like they've been coming into their own in their forties. That's interesting, yeah. I think I say that in the book, that I'm much more suited to
3: middle age than to youth. I really am. So maybe I'm wrong about being 15. I think it's the lack of certainty that I associate with being 15. But the contentment that can come with middle age, if you're fortunate, and it's quite a big if. I've always been good at contentment. I've always been somebody who can sit down and think, I've got a cup of tea and I've got a good book. Did I say that out loud, for example, it's a good book? (laughs) (laughs) It's a great gift if if you are able. I appreciate a lot of people, they can't reach for that... Little bit of contentment. They just can't get there. I've always been able to do that, and that's an incredible bonus in life if you have it. I refuse to see Middle age is terrible. You think a bit differently about old age, don't you? Because you say that. Well,
2: I just think once you've lost a parent or both parents, your notion of old age just is different. Actually, I mean, it's very telling that your parents are still alive and together and you know... Ticking t- along. Ticking along. And also, Jane, I mean, remarkable that neither of them have been extremely unwell. You know, that says a lot for the Crosby air. i mean, I'm, you know, extreme...
3: Well, I'm sure they're very grateful for it too. But I'm,
2: also your vision of old age just hasn't been knocked for six. It's still in front of you. you know, obviously, I'm not the only person to say this, but if you, if you lose a parent... At a younger age, your timeline of yeah. your future just changes. And I don't imagine, and I have written a whole chapter of the book, I don't imagine myself having a long old age because all of my father's uh, siblings and family, you know, died very suddenly and relatively young. So I think that changes my middle age as well because I don't think there's kind of 30 years of glorious going up the Danube the wrong way on a cruise <laughs> yeah. ship.
3: You know, with is there a right way to go? Devoted silver
2: fox. Somebody once told me that those cruises go the wrong way up the Danube and it was just one of those things
3: that really stuck. It's like getting one of those sexual practices where like, people <laughs> do a subcast about, not it? it?
2: does, does God, not at that age. <laughs> it sounds like something peculiar to Austria. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but I am enjoying my 50s. Oh my gosh, so much more than... What, what do you think is harder? Which, what's the worst decade? Oh, I would not go back to my 40s. Two tiny children children, a very a weirdly kind of precipitous career and jobs. I was tired all the time. Yeah, in I, my think, I think that's
3: interesting. I think the tired all the time thing is so hard when you've got your God. Yeah. So the current stage I'm at does seem slightly better. There
2: was just a stretch 40s. Everything, was,
3: Everything a was a stretch. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, there wasn't better. The book is, its uh, Sam was rather, I thought, rather cruelly pointed out, listeners, she did say earlier, it's not war and peace, which took yes. our breath away. Didn't <laughs> <it? Yeah. laughs> I think we both... We we were wounded. <laughs> much much more interesting war Warren peace. <laughs> we were <hold laughs> below the waterline, <laughs> we but I really think we were. managed to stay Stop, buoyant. It's not how we pulled off, Chucky. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, no, it's it's a, there'll it's... be repercussions on social media. So <laughs> yes, don't, don't worry. <laughs> it's a, it's a dip in and curl up sort of a book, isn't it? Um, if you've got a if you've got a
2: large family bag of chili nuts, and yes. the evenings are drawing in, yes. and there's no more Vera on the telly. Then this, I think, uh, will give you at least 17 minutes of joy. I, would have I so. think
1: it will be filling a lot of stories.
3: And there's nice. the audio book as well
2: we really you're enjoyed you're doing me, the audio yeah. book
3: we yeah. really did and
2: did, how embarrassing yeah. it would have been if we'd been unable to do that and so. then yes, someone else to, do it. Able to pull that
1: off. <laughs> well actually it was a
3: struggle because we had to read out loud which we're not do you not know being quite of us funny? Are that good at... just as a bit of an
2: extra bonus one if we ever wrote another book together I think we should get John Humphreys
3: and Edward Sturton to did voice up it?
1: our audio God, book do you think we could do that? just a chapter that
3: is actually a genius idea be quite fun yeah, yeah. <laughs> that one. brilliant yeah.
1: I'm going to make you answer two more of the questions. Yes. Yeah. Who is your old bird role model?
3: Old bird role model, Chrissie Hind. I have to say, only because I had lunch with her on Saturday, and oh, I just was... name dropped. <laughs> do just let, let's try and guess this. Would it be Princess Anne? <laughs> <laughs> God, no, I met her and she was quite rude. Um, no, Gillian Reynolds. Only because Gillian is um, a scouser, as it happens. She's been, unfortunately, she was the radio critic of the Guardian. She worked at the Telegraph. She worked at the Sunday Times. And she is 85 now, and I don't think she'd mind being referred to as an old bird. She's just fantastic company. She just knows so much stuff. Mm, She's a
2: very good egg as well. Yeah,
3: she's a really good egg. She's a good woman, and she's just... Somebody, if, if I could be like her, if I could be as curious as her, just as still asking questions, as still interested when I get to 85. I'm just alive as well, Jane. And alive, <laughs> yeah. I'd settle for that, yeah. yeah.
1: Anybody who's read your chapter in the book will understand you saying that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Last one. How many fucks do you give?
2: Absolutely none. Not even if they're flying.
3: Just could not give a toss anymore. I want to be more like that, but I'm probably still giving a bit of one, but that's the difference between us.
2: Mm, One of many
3: differences
2: between us, Jane.
3: (laughs) Yes, okay. But as I think we do say in the book, a lot of BBC management figures still can't tell us apart. Uh, They'll be be fuming when they find out these two identical women have written a book. (laughs) They will, but then you're in the building more
2: than me, so they'll bollock you. And I'll get off oh,
3: scot-free.
2: I thought of that, yeah. Yeah. Damn. On All
3: that right. note, you are
2: released. Thank yes. you so much. I'm only jiggling around because I need to do it.
1: very lovely. Thank you for listening. You can hear a new episode of The Shift each Tuesday on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please do rate, review, and follow because it really does help other people find us. And if you'd like to know more about my own experience of shifting, my book, The Shift, How I Lost and Found Myself After 40, and You Can Too, is out now in paperback. See you next time.
0: Hold up. What was that?